Welcome to Ragback. My name's Frank Burton. It's episode 69, and just like those two adjacent numbers, the six and the nine, we have the perfect blend of jokes and music. Not the best analogy. It's not two opposite things, is it? Listen, I'm going to tell you some jokes, and then we've got a brilliant musical guest on, Martin Auswick, a.k.a. Pale Bird. That's right, Martin Auswick is with us today. And listen, before we talk about Pale Bird, I think I ought to mention this week's guest is an actual podcasting legend. Also, for one thing, he's one third of Answer Me This, which I've referenced on this show before. It's one of the first podcasts I ever listened to many years ago, before people really knew what podcasting was. I listened to Answer Me This and I was like, yeah, this sounds like a lot of fun. Maybe I'll replicate this somehow in 15 years time. And then there's Pale Bird, which is something else entirely. Great bit of music to soak yourself up in, coming soon. Here's one of the things Martin is going to be saying to me. I started playing like seven string guitar, which is like a ridiculous thing to do, but I just wanted to like play around with what you do with writing. And I was like, oh, wouldn't it be really great, great to write a beautiful song on this guitar? I've been bothering my friend Jenny about it. He's a musician. And I was like, well, she's a guitar player, she'll get it. And she's really bored by me talking about seven string guitars. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll write a really beautiful song that's so sad and it makes her cry. And then she'll be like, seven string guitars are cool. Now, I think this might be my last interview guest this year. I'm winding things down and we'll be putting the podcast on pause for a few weeks. Not until November, though. We do have a couple more label specials in the bag. What am I going to be doing with my time? Well, I have the audiobook version of the second Ragbag book to record. That's going to take a while. Plus, I'm launching another weekly podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Watch this space. I will tell you about it very soon. I cannot wait. It's very different to this one, but it's equally good. What's the new book about, Frank? Well, it's all about a period in my life that I haven't spoken to you about yet. My life of crime, I suppose you could call it. Oh yeah, you do keep mentioning having been in prison, but you've never revealed what it's for. Is that what the book's about, Frank? Kind of. It's kind of hard to explain. It's more about the characters and how they relate to each other. Plus, it's kind of a crime thriller as well. It's all things to all people, if you like. What's it going to be called, Frank? Well, it's called Getting Away With It, but you don't really need to know that yet. It's not going to be out for another three months, unless you're listening in the future, in which case it's out now. This is a very long-winded introduction to me telling some jokes, isn't it? So tell us some jokes then, Frank. I will. I have 18 jokes, to be precise. That's something like double the amount I told last time. So, you know, it's an investment, this, isn't it? And seeing as we're talking about the book and getting arrested, stuff like that, I thought I'd write some jokes about getting arrested. I have been arrested 18 times. The first time I got arrested was for indecent exposure. In my defence, I was working as a stripper at the time. The second time I got arrested was for impersonating a police officer. In my defence, I was working as a stripper at the time. You see what I'm doing here? Risqué jokes. Risqué, that's a French word meaning, uh, you know, risky. That's right, I'm aiming to be an edgy comedian. The enfant terrible or terrible infant of the jokes world. The third time I got arrested was for throwing sulfuric acid in a child's face. In my defence, 
I was working as an edgy comedian at the time. Apparently that particular joke was a little too edgy. The fourth time I got arrested was for cutting up dead bodies. In my defence, I was working as a butcher at the time. Yeah, that's the right level of edgy there, yeah. The fifth time I got arrested was for burglary. In my defence, I was working as a burglar at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You see, I don't just do edgy. That was a light-hearted one, wasn't it? A light-hearted joke about burglary. The trouble we have is that you've probably cottoned on to my formula for these jokes, right? State the crime, reveal the job. There's 13 more of them to go. You're probably going to guess the punchlines for some of these. I'll rattle through them. Let's just get this over with. I've got a guest to talk to. Sixth time was for drug dealing. I was working as a pharmacist at the time. You probably saw that one coming. Easy peasy. Seventh time, arrested for pickpocketing. I was working as a personal shopper for people with pocket fetishes. You probably saw that one coming also. Oh, here's a good one. Played around with the formula a little bit for the next one. See if you like this. The eighth time I was arrested was for murder. In my defence... And that's why the charges were reduced to manslaughter. <laughs> you see? That's a good one. It's downhill from here, I'll tell you that now. The next one doesn't even make any sense. It must have meant something to me at the time, I'll just say it. The ninth time I got arrested was for online trolling. In my defence, at the time, I was working as President of the United States. The tenth time I got arrested was for conspiracy to commit an international terrorist atrocity. In my defence, at the time, I was working as the President of the United States. Big shout out to our American listeners, roughly 95% of you at the last count. The eleventh time I got arrested was for bribery. In my defence, the guy was trying to arrest me at the time. The twelfth time I got arrested was for sending a bomb in the mail. In my defence, it was a bath bomb. The thirteenth time I got arrested was for organ trafficking. In my defence, it was a Hammond organ. The fourteenth time I got arrested was for drink driving. In my defence, I was really drunk at the time. Apparently that was not a suitable defence. The fifteenth time I got arrested was for masterminding a complex and highly sophisticated system of white-collar fraud. In my defence, I was really drunk at the time. The sixteenth time I got arrested was for intellectual copyright infringement. In my defence, there's people out there illegally dumping chemical waste, doing untold damage to the environment, and you lot are hassling me for photocopying a Philip Pullman novel. Get a grip, coppers! The seventeenth time I was arrested was for illegally dumping chemical waste. The eighteenth and hopefully the final time I was arrested was for breaking out of prison, where I was serving multiple life sentences for the aforementioned crimes. In my defence, why not, eh? What else is there to do when you're serving back-to-back life sentences? I've broken out of jail several times now. I should have mentioned that earlier. That time I sent someone a bath bomb in the mail? I think it was more to do with me breaking out of jail where I was serving life sentences for the previous crimes. As far as I know, it's not against the law to send someone a bath bomb. I mean, 
It's probably best if you don't write little cryptic messages on the parcel saying things like Danger, there's a bomb in here. It might not arrive at its intended destination. I wonder how many bomb squads have been called out due to folks making humorous remarks on the back of padded envelopes. Now that's the real edgy comedy, isn't it? If you're making jokes that cause an entire post office depot to be evacuated, you are an edgy comedian. You put the professionals to shame. Oh, look at me, I make racist remarks in an ironic way and deliberately misunderstand transgender rights for comic effect. I'm an edgy comedian. You're not, mate. Malcolm from Exeter mailed his girlfriend a bath bomb for Valentine's Day and he wrote on the envelope, Caution, this package may explode. They've called the bomb squad. That is a dangerous joke. I think people should go and see Malcolm from Exeter at Wembley Arena once the pandemic's over. See what other jokes he's got. Yeah, Malcolm from Exeter. He's cool. Speaking of cool stuff, it's time for this week's guest. Here we go. Pale Bird has a new album out, a collaboration with singer-songwriter Lily Sloan. It's called I Told You How Important You Would Be, and it's wonderful. What else can I say? You'll hear a song from it in a minute. Myself and Martin get stuck into talking about the new album, plus the previous Pale Bird album, or series of albums, called Year of the Bird. Also, I've mentioned he's a podcasting legend, haven't I? You may be familiar with the Song by Song podcast, which Martin co-hosts. It's a song by song analysis of the great Tom Waits. I'll be quiet now. Let's listen to a track from a new album. Here we go. A 
Let's talk about the uh, the new record. I told you how important you would be. Yeah, I'm interested to know how you put it together because I understand you, it was kind of a, a remote thing between the two of you. Yeah, it was all done all done remotely, and this was like pre-COVID. So late September, early October last year, my friend Lily, she's a podcaster. We've we've been friends for a while, and uh, you know she, she's been on my podcast, and she's also a musician. And she told me about this thing that happens in where she lives in San Francisco which is like this thing called Song Fight. So every like 10 days or so, this is like a community. I guess it's quite like an old school website. It's really quite cool. And uh, they put up a prompt. It would be like, your your song um, has to be called Personal Space. That would be the prompt. And then there'll be like a sub-prompt, like, which is like optional. So um, for that one, it was like um, Vibrous Lap. And and then you have to go away and write a song and then come back and put it in. And then loads of people put, put put songs in. They sort of like review each other's songs and give like feedback and it's really nice. And then they pick a winner, basically. People vote and they pick a winner. And yeah, I, so I was touring with a podcast, which is a thing now. Um, so the whole thing was remote. So we started in October. We finished writing the songs, I think, in December. We did seven. The plan was I was going to go up to, I was in America and I was going to go up to San Francisco and see Lily. And we'd work work on these songs and we'd like kind of punch them up and mix them and all that sort of stuff. And then just as that, literally just like a week before that was supposed to happen, um, things started locking down. So I came back to the UK and we, we still managed to do do it, but we did it all remotely over Zoom calls and like sending people, sending each other sessions, logic um, edit sessions over Google Drive. And like we got it done. So it came out in, uh, I guess that was like July. Cool. In terms of the actual content, are you, because both of your voices are, are on in the in each of the songs, I think. So are you kind of doing the bits that you have written and she's doing the bits that she's written? Or is it kind of a, a more of a mixture of stuff going on there? I think both of us uh, are the kind of performers that find it a bit weird to sing other people's lyrics. So like it's always our own lyrics. And they're all, they're all duets apart from one track, which is, um, is really Lily's song in terms of the vocals and the lyrics, and I've just uh, put some backing vocals on. 
but even though, like they're very collaborative like we would collaborate on like adding guitar parts and instruments and like making suggestions about the vocals like how is it going to fit does this need a harmony here like and the, the song that isn't a duet which is called uh god what is it called Coventry yeah. isn't that's not a duet but it started off as a duet and I just gradually pulled out my vocals because I was like none of these vocals are working with your voice and in terms of like the story of the song which is all about sort of isolation and, and feeling left out like it doesn't really make that much sense for it to be a duet it, it, it should feel like it's one person one person's perspective there's something that you all know I want to know too Something that you know, know too. Will I be Is this going to be uh, something that you're going to do more regularly in terms of kind of collaborating with other musicians? Yeah, I'd like to. Yeah, if people want to collaborate with me, um, hit me up. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. It's really interesting working with someone like Lily, Lily, super talented. And then, you, but you can also see sort of like we have places where we overlap in terms of like our interests and our strengths, and then there's other places where we're coming at things from a slightly different perspective. So there's some sort of compromise. Into, like I think probably like the way that she writes is a little more experimental and she's a little bit more open to like dissonance and like weird sounds and stuff and uh, I'm into that but like in my writing I tend to like write maybe slightly more traditionally in terms of like having like a kind of hooky structure and things like that so I think it was really interesting to blend those two approaches and I'd, yeah like if there's other people who want to work with me I'd be really up for it I'd, I ask but you know everyone's super busy even even uh, especially in lockdown you know yeah yeah and i i guess it would have to be with the right person as well uh, you know uh, someone who kind of understands your music and you kind of you're kind of into their stuff as well yeah you need a certain level of trust like especially when you're giving like feedback and notes and like well you can't just be like this bit's rubbish if you don't know the person like and you know there's a, i think there's a bit of an art to giving feedback and being like well maybe you could try this or like i could i heard that i heard it, heard it a bit more like this but you have to have a certain level of like trust that you like each other's stuff and you're not going like your work is rubbish it's just like can we change this this one thing you know um so yeah i think from that perspective it's quite is i think that's more important than like style maybe just you know having a good like working rapport what i get from your music just on a general level and i might be completely wrong about this but um it sounds like you really just you you really enjoy what you do and it sounds like you're doing it 
for the pleasure of doing it rather than as a kind of a commercial enterprise. As I say, you, that it, you, you might be the opposite of that. You might be a complete businessman. No, I mean, if I was doing it as a commercial enterprise, I'd be doing a really bad job at this point. You know, <laughs> it's, not, it's not getting many platinum discs, you know. Um, yeah, like, I think a lot of creative stuff for me is like figuring out what I can do and learning things along the way. And quite often, like when I'm like, I can't imagine like writing a novel or something. Do you know what I mean? Because it's so long. Whereas even a song can take weeks or months to write. You know, if you, you have to go away from it and say, oh, it's not working, you come back to it a bit later. You know, it can take a long time to evolve, but there's something a bit more immediate about it. And so, like, those immediate emotions are usually, like, something I've found kind of funny or surprising or something that is, like, quite painful. So, you know, those are the most immediate emotions that, as a writer, like, you grab onto and are like, oh, yeah, this is really fun. I'm enjoying myself. Or, like, this is painful and I need to kind of get this out. And it's kind of cathartic, you know. Yeah, I mean, just in ter- in terms of the kind of the lyrical content, I, th- I think that's that's why I said what I said about about you kind of uh, enjoying doing what you're doing because I, I think there's a lot of just um, a lot of humour in the lyrics and quite often, you know, I, I listen to one of your songs and it'll kind of make me laugh a little bit, you know. It, uh, but I, I'm not I'm not saying that it's like a comedy song, but it's got that strong sort of humorous sort of element in there well i i think most i don't think there's much music i like that doesn't have some kind of humor in it like i said like you say it doesn't have to have be like a joke song but like like some of the music i like the most like you know the tom waits or the pixies like they've got lots of weird jokes in there you know and uh and i like a lot of music that is just funny and weird like you know i grew up listening to like ween and primus and those sorts of bands like bands that are like they're really good bands but they're not or like they might be giants. Like they're not desperately trying to be taken seriously and be really, I don't know, heavy or something. Um, yeah, it's just quite can be quite quite tricky because I think people it, music can split a bit, can't it? Like you got serious music and then you got like joke songs where there's like a punchline or it's like a pun or something. And it's like I don't really want to sit in. Like I want to sit in between those two two places. Yeah, I mean, do you ever come up with an idea for a song and think, no, that that's a little bit too silly? Uh, and I, I can't do it because it's no no <laughs> I don't think I've ever done that I mean I, I I've had such I mean I've had so many I think the challenge for me is like I come up with like a silly idea and it's just like a hook in my brain and it's like how do I make that into something that isn't just a stu- silly idea uh I like I'm working on this song at the moment I don't know if it's gonna come out but like about like um I started playing like seven string guitar which is like a ridiculous thing to do but I just wanted to like play around with what you could do with writing and I was like I oh, wouldn't it be really great great to write a beautiful song on this guitar I've been bothering my friend Jenny about it who's a musician and, and I was like well she's a guitar player she'll get it and she's really bored by me talking about seven string guitars so I was like all right I'll, I'll write a really beautiful song that is so sad and it makes her cry and then she'll be like seven string guitars are cool and then I realized I couldn't really do that so I wrote a song about writing a song that was so sad that she cried and it's like as soon as it's a really silly idea but like from that I could kind of evolve that into like if you did really make someone cry with a song like what that's not actually a nice thing to do and like what happens after that it was like <laughs> like everyone says they want to do that but if you played someone's song and they started crying you'd be a bit like oh I'm, are you okay <laughs> Francisco couldn't be so big right 
And I looked up your address in the phone book And I turned up in the middle of the night You certainly seemed surprised You were holding something behind your back I think a knife When I told you I was here to save your life You reluctantly let me come inside I told you how important you would be In the 2020 war against the machines When I asked the year you told me 1955 And I realised I'd come back to the wrong time I wanted to move on and ask you about Year of the Bird because I'm really interested in kind of how how that came about and how you put it together. And um, so you were you were traveling the world, is this right? And you put together this massive uh, project. Right, right. So in 2017, I left my job and uh, to travel like my wife, Helen, she's a podcaster. She's been she'd been traveling a lot. And I was like, either I can carry on doing this job or I can, you know, see her <laughs> we were in a position to do the latter so we we decided to travel for a year and went to a bunch of places like south america and southeast asia australia new zealand um north america uh hawaii that was nice and uh, <laughs> while we were doing it i was like well like it's meant to be just a year of traveling but it'd be nice to have something to show for it and you know in my old job like it was pretty full-on and I just wasn't having the time to do creative stuff and I was like well if all I have to show this year is having traveled and I've written some songs that'd be really great so I set myself I was also like I was turning 40 so I thought I'll do do 40 songs because like a song a week is too much like a song a week is a lot right like especially if you're traveling all the time 40 is doable that's roughly a song a week and a few weeks off so yeah, I can. I was like, I can do that, and it was just really nice. Like I had a little travel guitar, I had a, like a little MIDI keyboard, my laptop, uh, you know, a couple of microphones, and you know, sometimes I'd record like local sounds. There's like the sounds of like frogs from Hawaii, and like a like a pancake making machine in like Japan, and um, God, I can't remember what else. A freight train in Oakland, you know, all these local sounds. So it could be like, oh, I've captured a little bit of the place that I'm in, and some of it, you know, there's a the one of the song I've recorded one of the songs on a like the vocal from one of the songs on a train as we were sat in a station in northern Japan. Uh, it's just like this whis- this really quiet wh- whispered vocal, um, and then you know other ones like there was this uh, we were in Cambodia and they had this massive like huge like sarcophagus of a bathtub. And it just made this amazing reverb tank, so I use that for like the reverb, the echo effect on the on my voice. So it was just like about kind of capturing like particular points in time where I was and in space, I guess, where I was in the world, where I was in time, what I was thinking about as well. I mean, it sort of inevitably comes like a bit of a journal. And then in um, in the su- this isn't so this was all in 2018, and then in the summer, my wife got really sick and was in hospital with like an infection. And was like in intensive care and it was really intense so like I didn't you know write solidly through that period but I was like well I don't have that much to do like I'm visiting the hospital I go home and I have something to eat and like I'm just worrying so I may as well like use that time somehow and channel and channel some of that into 
some songs. So there's just a point in the in the collection where there's like two or three songs which are like super intense and weird, and then it kind of goes a little bit back to normal after that. But yeah, I was just like, it's not wrong to focus on this when like my mind is just racing and and it's a really I mean I suppose like some people have given themselves like creative projects during this year where it's just like a little bit of time away from your mind can't just freaking out all the time um for me it was like probably about two weeks of freak out rather than you know whatever it's been so far seven months but I recommend it (laughs) okay and and your wife is okay now is she not so um she's great yeah yeah sorry yeah I should say she 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 did not die <laughs> and has not yet died yes just 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 to uh, put the listeners where he's at rest spoilers <laughs> so there you go uh yeah i mean it yeah it's just kind of a, a fascinating story really and it's kind of like um to, to say that there's 40 songs there i mean uh just the the quality of each of them is is uh really high so i'm, I'm really impressed oh thanks yeah i mean they're not all bangers <laughs> but there are some really good I mean, there are some tracks I really like and I still like listen to. Um, and then there's other ones where I was like, oh, I was, that was just me against the deadline, really. But, <laughs> but it was nice to experiment. Like, I experiment, like, I, I, I've, for my own music, I write other I write podcast music where I tend to use, like, other instruments. But for my own stuff, I tend to focus on guitar because that's the sort of style of music I've tended to play. And with this, with this one, there's more electronica. There's more, like, using samples and, like, found sounds. And there's some spoken word stuff, which I hadn't really done before. Like, I'm still kind of working my way into that. Like, I think, you know, I'd love to try just slightly expanding my palette so it's not, you know, just sort of sad, slightly humorous guitar songs. And it gave me the chance to do that because it's like, well, if this song is rubbish, next week I'll write another one. And, you know. That's, and that's quite it just low I, I i'm not generally a huge fan of these sort of constrained writing things because i think if if you make if you put a gun to someone's head and say write 100 songs in the next 10 days or whatever they'll they'll all be rubbish or most of them will be rubbish but you know this one was just constrained enough that it, make, it meant i kept working and not so constrained that i just had to like blast stuff out and i did go back to stuff like when i went back to release it i spent a year writing and then i went i spent a year releasing them as roughly a song a week and when I did the second part, I did go back and just like punch up some of the, you know, cut out a verse here and there, finish the mix. And, you know, there's nothing I completely reworked, I don't think. But there was stuff where I would like be like, yeah, you only you don't need three verses here. Like two is fine. That kind of thing. I, I really like the uh, the spoken word stuff, actually. Um, oh, thanks. You mentioned that. And um, the what, what was the one that um, is it called? The Cascade Mountains? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was a really fun one. Yeah, that was great. I was on a plane flight and it went right over the Cascade Mountains, which is this uh, mountain, a volcano chain essentially on the west coast of North America. So it goes pretty much from like, I think I'm going to say we were flying from Canada to like LA or something like that. And it goes all the way down like from Vancouver and sort of stops uh, in Northern California. And it's really beautiful, like especially from the air. It's the there's Mount St. Helens and Mount Hood and all of these like iconic volcanoes um and i just because we've just been in vancouver i was thinking about like the way that city changed uh, like really rapid like it's got quite a soulless center like it has huge amounts of new development which happened in the last 30 years and that's a development i think was like a result of demographic demographic shift i think there's a lot of people coming over from hong kong in like 97 when the regime changed and so like there was a sudden need for like high quality fancy housing you know that can just change a city so quickly so i was thinking like it was kind of a metaphor of like i used to be like a a city's person like a kind of urban geographer 
in my old job and i was thinking about like that song was sort of like a fun way of like eliding like physical geography like tectonic shifts and like volcanoes and like earthquakes with um like human geography like the sort of way that like you know migration and like empire and all of this stuff like forces people to move and that changes the character character of cities so i was sort of like trying to frame those like very human things as like forces of nature and so it, it's uh, it's fun because it's delivered very much in the way of like a science documentary or that's what i was trying to deliver it but all of the information in it, it's complete rubbish like there's no like gigantic shards of glass like shooting through the ground in southern uh southern canada and you know it's not literally like people are fleeing the bay area with kombucha because it's on fire other i mean there are fires happening but like yeah a lot of the stuff was before the big wildfires as well so um do take it with a pinch of salt when you listen to the, the track <laughs> chrysanthemum and glittering mandibles. Some of these structures were hundreds of stories tall, and many there found it difficult to stay among this unfamiliar environment. Others still flocked to be part of this newly discovered phenomenon. Even before the eruption of Mount St Helens in May 1980, geological events were already having their impacts on the people of Portland, Oregon, Seattle, Washington, and the wider Pacific Northwest as they experienced an influx of refugees from the fault-riddled valleys of Northern California. Luckily, many of these refugees brought with them the valuable skills of engineering, brewing, and the precious resources of sourdough and kombucha cultures, saved from the teetering ruins of the cities they were fleeing. Many years later, in the 2010s, fires began to break out along the unstable San Andreas Fault, centered around three locations. Firstly, performance venues on Love by Capital. Secondly, in the countryside around homes of people who did not work for tech firms with multi-billion dollar valuations. And thirdly, in a phenomenon science cannot explain, Rupert Murdoch's house. Geologists believe that the central valley filled first with sand, then with fire, then with water, and they're predicting that next it will fill with stone, then paper, then scissors. Uh, I wanted to uh, move on and uh, talk about Tom Waits, if that's okay with you, because um, obviously you do... Um... Yeah, of course, always talking about Tom Waits. So, well, yeah, yeah, you obviously do that a lot. <laughs> yeah. um, so, song by song... Uh, been really enjoying uh, listening to that and um i'm just wondering in terms of your in terms of your music as uh, pale bird i mean to to what extent do are you influenced by tom waits 
Oh, hugely, I think. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'd have to ask someone who isn't me, really. Like, do you hear it in the music? Are there bits where you're like, oh, that's like a Waitsian thing? Uh, not in the music as such, but I think in terms of narrative, I guess, because uh, there's a lot of, I, I think you do a lot of narrative-based songs, yeah. if I can call them that. And that that's obviously what Tom Waits does as well, so... Yeah, yeah, he's very story-driven, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's... I don't sound like him when I sing. I think there's a t- tendency for some Tom Waits fans when they make their own music that it does sound like... And it, like it's very obviously, like, influenced by his stuff. And it's like, I... I wouldn't like I can't do what he does. I mean, not many people can, to be honest. But there's, I mean, there's some, there's a few things that are like obvious if you know his stuff well. Like, I really, I'm really influenced as a guitar player by Mike Ribot, who's one of his like regular players. He's sort of played with them since the '80s. He has a very kind of tremolo-driven, slightly like Cuban style. I mean, as a guitar player, he's actually very versatile. But on the Waits records, he has a certain style that is quite atonal and um, really, really recognizable. Like if you listen to like like a track like Rain the song Rain Dogs, like the guitar part on that is very like typical of the way that he plays. Um and then some of the production techniques that he uses, he did some really interesting stuff in the nineties where he would like use room sound a lot. So you really, really get a sense of space that you're in a space listening to music and it goes against a lot of the ways that like recording works, which is I mean, I'm sat in a cupboard. No, like in a wardrobe now surrounded by clothes so that you don't hear this, the, the sort of unpleasant sound of the room and you know a lot of recording studios used to kind of work that way that they would totally remove the sound of an environment and then put it put that big back in afterwards with like reverb and you know effects and make it sound like it was recorded together in a space but a lot of the time it's just layering the tracks up and yeah like his his him using room sound really it makes it feel like it's a real person making real music somewhere. Like it could, you could be sat in the room listening to someone play, and that's a really nice, nice feeling. But yeah, like and same thing. Like he writes about some quite grim topics. He writes quite. Um, I mean, you could call, like you could call his style of writing quite magic realist. And I definitely like. I think write in that mode quite a lot. And he and his use of humor. Like he's a really. Like everyone thinks he's this very grim and tragic guy. And then, but like, there's so many jokes and like funny asides and quips in his music he's a very witty writer so yeah those i think those are the ways that um i'm, uh, I'm uh, trying to copy him basically and um i mean from doing the podcast uh in terms of obviously it requires you to analyze each individual tom Waits song in some detail so i mean have has it given you a different perspective on his music from from doing all of that yeah, I mean, we're going through, we're talking about every single song and we're devoting an episode to every single song. And that can be like, this is a one minute instrumental or it can be like his class, one of his classic, you know, well-known tracks. I, I mostly haven't changed my opinion that much about the albums I like and I don't like. But it is something quite nice about deliberately spending time with an album. Like there's, there's no record of his that I like hate. Like, like some artists, you might be like, oh, this one is when they, you know, did synths or they tried to do a jungle album and it was sounded rubbish. Like he's never like followed the trends to that extent like he's always been influenced by and worked with musicians who are sort of a little more who who had like plugged into different scenes so it's quite nice to be in a, like oh this is an album i've listened to maybe twice because i listened to it and didn't love it and then you go back and you sort of dig into it and you're like actually there's some interesting stuff here or you hear how his voice has changed or you hear how his piano playing has like evolved and just thinking about 
how someone charts a career through the music industry, someone who's so strange um, and has gone through these different phases of like being a sort of beat poet persona that is sort of a character. And now he's in a sort of slightly different character of this of this weird, weird rural curmudgeon who builds weird stuff in his garage, you know. So um, I don't know. Uh, there's always something interesting to talk about, and we, um, and because we're led by the guests, like we try and we try and lead by what the guests will have to say about the track, and sometimes they'll just be like, oh, "I hate it." <laughs> I mean, usually they like it, but you know, you know, he's he's kind of he's he's kind of a major artist, but he exists outside of the music industry, and and uh, you know, he, he's not following any sort of trends or anything like that. It's kind of his own thing. It's almost like his own sort of genre that he's created for himself. I do obviously. I think he's a genius. Otherwise, I wouldn't be spending years of my life talking about his music. But it's like he he was also quite plugged into the music scene. Like when he started, like he had a, a song covered by the Eagles. He had a song covered by Tim Buckley on his from his first record. So he was obviously like plugged in. Like and he worked with when he writes. He's not. I mean, he's kind of DIY now. But like he he from the beginning, he was working with very talented musicians and st- like you know studio big, big studio setups. So it's not like he's really an outsider in that sense. He's not. It's not like he's not like Daniel Johnston or someone like that. He seemed to be quite smart operating within the industry, but it's just the music he made got weirder and weirder and weirder. I just think he's very hard to imitate because uh, you just you just end up sounding like him. Like it's there's some bands and musicians where you know you 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 got to be very careful how you take inspiration from them. Otherwise, you just sound like a second-rate version of, the, of that artist. I think um, the, in terms of the Song by Song podcast, I think what, what I like about it personally is that, because um, I'm a fan of Tom Waits, but I don't really know very much about him, and I, ha- I haven't spent the time that you have spent sort of analysing all the songs. So kind of I, I can hear from, because I'm not a musician either, so I can, I can listen to like a, a musician's perspective on that music and opens things up for me and I can sort of helps me to sort of listen to that music in a, in a different sort of way you know um, I think somebody said I was listening to one of your um, episodes the other day and um, somebody pointed out that the in, the the narrative within the each of the songs is they're all written in real time oh interesting yeah yeah it hadn't occurred to me, um, but kind of, um, it, it's absolutely right. I think, I, I think that uh, if you listen to each of the songs, there, it's it's all about what's happening in that moment. It's not kind of an overarching story about somebody's life. He has some quite interesting things to say about like storytelling, and like uh, one of the f- sort of famous ones is he said something like, um, "What was it?" He said like, "Every song needs like a location and like a packed lunch or something like." You got you got to have a sandwich. <laughs> And it's like, and it's saying that again. It's saying like it's it's very typical kind of humorous way of like explaining something. But it's like you can't just be like, "There's a man in a wood." It needs to be, David was stood next to the oak tree, you know, hands gripping his packed lunch. He had no idea where he was. Like it's not enough to, you know. We do actually we've had the discussion on the show a few times. Like I think specific writing is usually much more satisfying than generic. You know. I mean, most a lot of pop songs use this sort of generic writing tropes of like "I love you," "I miss you," but I just don't find it very um, believable. Like it's like I think you need real like grit and the pearl to um, to, to kind of 
have a real experience that make it feel like it's a real experience that a human being had and i think there's much more to connect connect with in that kind of writing it kind of reminds me of what um nick cave said about is it narrative narrative songwriting is all about counterpoint ah. and it's about the contrast between two things interesting yeah yeah um and uh it, you, you can hear that a lot in kind of nick cave songs a, a lot of his songs are about a, a conflict between two very different things yeah it's interesting isn't it yeah like, like i mean there's a sort of uh there's a sort of classic storytelling idea that like what drives a story is conflict and um there's a really good like Ursula Le Guin quote about it going like that's not really the only thing that drives a story it's a very masculine way of writing if you're like you have to have two characters fighting in some way it's like it's really limited and sort of you know and you kind of imagine all of these like um i can't remember the name of the guy you know the sort of heroes what heroes journey type uh, joseph campbell type people maybe not him but the people that came after him write about screenplays you've got to have your hero swing a sword in the third act or whatever you know and it's like there are other ways to drive a story it doesn't have to be about two people there's other ways to have tension yeah and like actually sometimes good music doesn't need tension like sometimes what you don't need, you need in your life isn't tension um or conflict you need something really chill <laughs> so there's lots of ways to write i think it's i mean i think with these things it's interesting just to take them with a pinch of salt like you don't always want to know what a character's eating for lunch but you know if you but it's, it's a greater truth that, that illuminates about like what kind of detail is in your song and what like kind of texture is there that makes it believable. Pockets full of bones. They found him with his pockets full of bones. They found him with his pockets full of bones. 
sea of living things. The forest has way over his head, set him free, bringing things back from the dead. What could be more natural? The forest doesn't care than an ending like this. And all the people know it. We found him with his pockets full of gold. Listening. Many thanks to Pale Bird, aka the multi-talented Martin Auswick, gentleman, scholar, and acrobat, possibly, who knows? All the links to Martin's stuff can be found in the show notes. Check out Lily Sloan while you're at it. Also take a look at my website, frankburson.co.uk, buy my books, A History of Sarcasm, 100 and Everything I Am. I will see you very soon. my defense in my defense in my defense i was really drunk at the time